today on Ag News Daily. Lessons, uh, uh, demand for especially premium cuts of meat, uh, and therefore maybe we won't be feeding as many cattle, hogs, a little bit of uh, demand destruction potentially in, in the grains and so on and so forth. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Well, good afternoon for those of you who didn't go home on Friday long. The equities markets, the crude oil market, the corn market, the soybean market, and so many other markets that we're trading today. I'm Mike Pearson, excited today to talk about what is happening in the world of agriculture, joined as always by co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm not sure I'm excited to talk about these things, but it's definitely been an interesting trading day today. That's for sure, Mike. It has been. It has been. It's been very interesting. There's been a lot of things going on. I'm sure our listeners are plugged into the basics, but I just wanted to hit it because I I think it's worth talking about right off the bat. Um, We'll talk about this in detail with Ted Seifert a little bit later on in our Hashtag Market Monday segment. But today was a volatile day on Wall Street. Um, On, excuse me, over the weekend, we saw Saudi Arabia and the Russians get into a price fight, basically a knife fight over the price of crude oil. Saudi Arabians wanted to cut production in order to boost prices so they could make a little bit more money. That would have been beneficial for U.S. shale producers who thrive when prices climb a little bit. And the Russians said, nah, we don't think we want to do that. We want to continue to pump as much oil out as we feel like we want to. And Saudi Arabia said, yeah, okay, you can do that. We've got the most, and we're going to go ahead and cut our prices by $7 a barrel, the biggest cut in the price of crude oil since the Gulf War in 1991. This has since launched a huge ripple effect, combining with the fears of coronavirus to drive the stock market. We're recording right now at about 245. We've got about 15 minutes left of trading. The Dow Jones is presently down 6.53%, down 1,696 points. Earlier today, we were down as much as 2,000 points in the Dow. It has been something else. And of course, this has weighed on most of the ag commodities as well, which Ted will talk about in just a little bit, Delaney. Yeah, I've got some other information to fill in there, fill in some of the gaps that uh, you left as well. Looking at Saudi Arabia, they've also gone as far now as to close off air and sea travels to nine different countries affected by the coronavirus which, of course, uh, travel both in and out of the country, meaning oil will not get out of the country because they've shut off all ports as well. And for reference, Mike, I believe this is about 20% decline in crude oil prices. Not only that, of course, this is uh, really largely sparked by the coronavirus fears. And as of currently, the number of global coronavirus cases is now just over 111,000 cases worldwide and deaths that are about 30, not quite 3,900 deaths worldwide. But I was watching the news week this weekend and they were saying that essentially those folks that have been affected by the coronavirus, that number of folks that have recovered is greater than the number of deaths by like threefold. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's got, if you're under 50, your chance of recovering from the coronavirus. I just saw the statistic. I'll try to pull up the source, but listeners, don't quote it as gospel because I saw it on the internet and I can't find the source right now. If you're under 50, it's something like a 99.975% rate of recovery. The challenge becomes if you are elderly, 
Um, if you have other existing health problems, they call it comorbidities, or if you're immunocompromised. So if you have one of those disorders that does make your immune system a little bit more weak, you know, you're going to have a really hard, you're going to have a much harder time fighting off this viral upper respiratory infection. And, you know, those are the people that, uh, that really need to be concerned about this uh, coronavirus as it does continue to spread. Yeah, but of course, the long-term concern is, could this all, especially if we're shutting off trade and travel, could this head us into a global economic recession? That is the fear. That is the overriding fear. Basically, the markets aren't necessarily concerned as much about the spread of coronavirus. You know, initially when this thing broke in China, the thought was, oh my gosh, we're going to see lots of people die. We're going to have demand disrupted. We will have too much supply, not enough demand due to all the dead people. Now the problem isn't so much that all these people are going to die. We could still see fatalities, and that's really sad. I don't mean to minimize that one bit. But I do mean to say that right now the bigger threat to the markets is the idea that governments, where now we're seeing this take place in Italy, we saw it take place in China, uh, as you mentioned, Saudi Arabia, we're seeing governments clamp down on supply chains in an effort to stop the spread of this virus, we could be doing fairly substantial economic harm. And in fact, um, I believe it was Goldman Sachs dropped the potential for U.S. GDP this next quarter to a negative mm -hmm. six-tenths of a percent. Hmm. I hadn't seen that one. That's definitely a sign that they're uh, anticipating some s slowdown. Yeah, you know, we're in the fear trade right now. That's something Ted's going to talk quite a bit about here when we get into the markets. We are trading fear right now, and there's just not anything bullish enough to break that mindset quite yet. No, I would agree with that. And looking at Friday's podcast, we talked a little bit about this. I know you were traveling back from your speaking engagement, Mike, so you weren't on the podcast. But on Friday, we saw because the Trump administration basically announced plans to appeal a federal court decision looking at those small refinery exemption waivers that happened in the 10th Court of Appeals. We saw re U.S. renewable fuel credits fell more than 15 percent on Friday. Then, in reaction to today's decline in crude oil prices, we continue to see the ethanol market taking a plunge lower. Yes. Yeah. You know, ugh. This whole Trump administration appealing that ruling by the 10th uh, Federal Court of Appeals is very frustrating. I, I think all of agriculture needs to recognize that this, this is not a good thing for ag, no. um, whether or not you're a supporter of ethanol. I know we've got listeners who are out in, in cattle country who are not thrilled with the way ethanol has uh, driven corn demand and moved prices higher. At the end of the day, what the administration is doing is not friendly in the slightest to the ag industry as a whole. It, it, to my mind, and listeners, you can find me on Twitter if you've got a different take. I'd love to hear your opinions. You can find me at Pearson Cattle. Um, at the end of the day, this just shows that the administration's, quote, love of agriculture is just talk. Um, clearly, the love is for the oil industry, and they're willing to throw ag under the bus, and that's frustrating. Very frustrating, Mike. Very frustrating indeed. But the other big headline that I think we've got to talk about today is some recent news today that the USDA has announced a very detailed plan if African swine fever does hit the U.S. shores. Mike, have you seen some of the stories around this today? I have, but I didn't open it for the news. I figured you might have it on hand, You're so, so why don't you right. break it down for us? Well... Essentially, the USDA has said that if African swine fever does hit the U.S. shores, they are going to stop the transportation and movement of all swine for 72 hours if there is detection. And this was announced kind of today, end of the day Friday into today. 
Um, as we know, there's not a case in the United States as of yet, but they said they need to have, of course, a place put together, a plan put together in case it does make its way here. And so, yeah, 72 hours halt order or stop order, if you will, to prohibit the movement of swine. And they also said for the depopulation of infected and exposed animals, if, of course, it does make it here to the U.S. shores. They said that they would work with states individually as well as industry folks to decide what the most efficient and effective depopulation method would be. But uh, as I've talked to some folks in the swine industry before, I mean, I don't think that that aspect of it is hard for everyone to come to a consensus on as far as euthanasia and a mass herd like that. Yeah, and, you know, Delaney, you work with more pork producers than I do, but I imagine it would look somewhat similar to the way we handled avian influenza um, back in 2014-15 when it's just like, you know, we can't afford the risk of one of these animals escaping and infecting somebody else. We can't afford the risk of this disease spreading, so... It lights out. Right. That is uh, pretty much the general consensus. I guess the specific method that is used is where there's a little bit of discrepancy. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And hopefully they can hammer hammer that. Hopefully they won't need to ever use it. Right. But, uh, you know, ideally they can put, like you mentioned, a plan in place and be ready in case the worst case scenario comes to play out. Yes. But uh, 72 hour halt order that I mean, so the thing is that that's maybe not a significant amount of time if you don't raise porks, but I, I feel like that's a very significant amount of time. What if you have, you know, a hog that's sick that needs to go to the vet or you need to take a weaned litter of piglets elsewhere to move on to the next cycle of their life? I mean, 72 hours is a long time, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's three days, right? I mean, that's, that's right. enough time for an 11-pound wiener to, to grow a couple pounds, and all of a sudden now you're throwing off barn management. Yes. But... I imagine if I'm a pork producer in this country, I'd rather sacrifice three days in an effort to contain African swine fever and not have it hit my herd than be able to continue to move hogs and be under the constant threat right. of African swine fever decimating our herds like it has done in China. Right. So no doubt. It, it's a balancing act. I, I imagine USDA has, has probably taken quite a bit of comments on this rule. And uh, hopefully, like we say, they never need to use it. Hopefully not. Well, I've got some news here, and this is interesting. I think this was put together by the Plant-Based Foods Association and the Good Food Institute. Uh, and remember, these are very biased. Uh, and I don't mean biased in a bad way. I just mean they have a, have a dog in this fight. Uh, to use a bad metaphor anymore, you, nobody likes dog fighting. They've got a dog in this hunt, I guess. Um, these are both companies or, or institutions that promote plant-based alternative proteins, but they did say that the sale of plant-based foods in the past year has grown 11.4%, which brings the total plant-based market value. And again, I believe this is plant-based protein alternatives. I don't think we're looking at like broccoli in this number, they say the plant-based market value is now $5 billion. And this has happened. This was the interesting statistic that I, I think agriculture needs to be aware of. Plant-based foods grew 11.4%, while the overall food market grew just 2.2%. So even though a lot of us uh, sneered at some of the plant-based fake meat alternatives that came out this past year, they were able to gobble up some market share in a slowly increasing food environment. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on. They also talk about uh, the drivers of this, and the main driver of plant-based foods continues to be your dairy alternatives, both uh, both milk and cheese. And uh, then 
than your meat is the bigger one. Plant-based milk grew 5% over the past year, is now 14% of the entire milk category. And plant-based meat cat, uh, all fake meats, is up 18% this past year. Um, and it's worth about uh, just shy of a billion dollars, $939 million worth of sales for fake meat. So definitely an increasing market share, but just nothing that's that's like doom and gloom in the immediate future for agriculture. Well, no, I mean plant-based foods are produced by agriculture, just different well, yeah, farmers that's producing true. it. Absolutely. You know, it, the the end of the day, though, we don't know where the ceiling is on these mm-hmm. plant-based foods. You know, are we close to it today? Well, the Good Food Institute and that other one, the plant-based protein alternatives or whatever the heck that company or group was, you know, they seem to think this is going to continue to climb, and time will tell. You know the to my mind, and again, I'm, I'm a little biased coming from the, the cattle industry. I've tried the Impossible and the Beyond Meat Burger. I feel like they've got a little ways to go in terms of flavor. It's, oh, I it's, didn't. It's not, it's not there yet. I didn't realize you'd tried both of them. Oh, my goodness. Didn't we talk about this, Delaney? We talked about you trying one of them, but I think it, I'm trying to think which it was. I, I think it was the Impossible Whopper or like that type of, but I, don't, I didn't know you'd tried like cell cultured meat. No, I haven't. Oh, I haven't. So okay. I've tried the impossible and the beyond. Got it. I, I don't think anybody's really yet tried cell cultured meat unless you've been invited by Memphis Meats or one of the other competitors oh, okay. That's that are working on like, developing. Wow, I didn't know you tried that. I'm not that forward thinking. Oh, okay, I yeah. I don't know if I would. I mean, I don't know. I'm pro science. I'd give it a shot. I eat some cell cultured meat just to try it and see see if that's where the competition could arise. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? In ag, we need to be aware of of what's going on, because that is not produced by farmers. You know, that would be a a threat to agriculture, Delaney. Yeah, definitely. Potentially. What other news do you have for us? You know, I am, that's pretty much all my news for today, Mike. Should we take a look at the markets for today before you chat with Ted Seifert? Absolutely. Just to kind of set everybody up on what to expect in the markets, folks, remember our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you've got some hedging needs, some risk management needs, check them out, agmarket.net. Talented team of folks there to help you out. Today, as I mentioned, we've got mixed trade, believe it or not, in the grains. We've got much weakness in corn and soybeans, although we did close well off the lows of the day. We've actually got a little green on the screen in the wheat market, and I'll ask Ted why, so stay tuned. In the corn market... May corn up, excuse me, whoa, down at three and a quarter cents at three seventy two and three quarters. The December down five and a quarter to close at three seventy six and a quarter. Over in soybeans, the May contract down twenty one and a quarter cents, finished at eight seventy even. November down nineteen and a quarter to close at eight eighty six and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the May contract up three cents on the day, well off the day's lows, finished at five eighteen and three quarters. The December contract up one and three quarters to close at five thirty seven even. Looking over at livestock, we saw a lot of weakness to start the day. In fact, both feeders and fat cattle opened the day limit down. Live cattle were able to bounce back a little tiny bit. The April fat cattle contract was down $2.90 at 102.85. The June down $2.92.5 to close at 97.10. Feeder cattle weren't so lucky. Opened limit down, climbed a little bit midday, and then finished limit down. Down the daily 450 trading limit in all contracts in the or all nearby contracts anyway. April down 450 at 125.55. May also down 450 at 126.65. Lean hogs never quite, excuse me, they did touch limit down, but they didn't spend much time there. The April lean hog contract down $2.92.5 at $63 even. The May down 267.50 to close at 68.70. 
And over in the dairy market, weakness as expected in dairy. The March contract down 10 cents at 16.27. The April down 20, closing the day at 15.83. Without further ado, let's throw it over to Ted Seifert from Zaner Egg Hedge. Well, folks, it is hashtag Market Monday, and what a Market Monday it has been. To help us sort through the wreckage of today's trading activity, at least for those who went into the weekend long on equities, cattle, corn, crude, beans, and oh, everything but wheat, Mr. Ted Seifert, the chief market strategist here at Zaner Ag Hedge, is going to break it down for us. Ted, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hey, thanks, Mike, for having me. Let's jump into it. All of this started, it seemed like, on Saturday or Sunday when Saudi Arabia decided to engage in this price war on crude oil with Russia. Let's talk crude. We don't typically talk crude on the podcast, but it was definitely moving the markets today. What should we make of this as either consumers who are looking to price in some diesel here heading into the planting season or as just participants in the broader economy? What is this going to mean for us, Ted? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're looking to buy some heating oil uh, or diesel heating oil, uh yeah, it was down over 20 cents today. Uh, so that, that huge drop, one of the biggest drops we've seen in well, almost 30 years. So yeah, it's, uh, that's maybe the bright side of the day is that, uh, our fuel needs might be a little bit, uh, more attainable, a little cheaper, uh, here at this point. So, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, but as far as the crude market is concerned as a whole, you know, um, if Saudi and Russia are going to engage in a price war, uh, that could keep prices really low for some period of time. Uh, as far as the, the market is concerned, as far as the board is concerned, we're really very oversold. But this could be a game-changing factor going forward. And we saw how much of a negative impact it had on the stock market. Um, but the, the news this weekend was not just Saudi, Russia, price wars. I mean, we continue on with the coronavirus. Uh, the news there was not great this weekend. We had a, another case in Chicago that was a community transfer, meaning we don't know where the guy got it from. He hasn't traveled outside of the city in, I think, three years or something like that. So um, that's concerning. Um, there's just a lot of unease happening right now. Uh, so we'll see. Again, coronavirus so on and so forth. Now, the, what could be the bright side going forward, um, while we don't like seeing the stock market drop as much as we did, and the concern there is that it lessens uh, uh, demand for especially premium cuts of meat, uh, and therefore maybe we won't be feeding as many cattle, hogs, so a little bit of uh, demand destruction potentially in, in the grains and so on and so forth. But when you look at the cheaper crude oil prices, uh, there is a bit of an opportunity there. If we do carry lower unleaded gasoline prices into the spring and summer time frame, we could be seeing more demand come into the market for unleaded gasoline and therefore the blend for ethanol. I'd also say that with the coronavirus fears in your metropolitan areas, um, you're going to see a lot less public transportation and a lot more interest in people taking their cars. So while there will be some working from home and things like that, um, people that do have to go into the office I think are going to be a lot more likely to drive. Uh, just really anytime you're going to visit the city or something like that, there's going to be a lot more driving happening. So uh, I, I'm a little bit optimistic that you know the market's first take on the lower crude oil being negative for corn might not be the right one. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but yeah, we, we are in a, a, a culture of fear right now. Uh, and we are a market or we are a headline driven market right now. So we're going to have to continue to watch these headlines. 
It'd be great to get some good news, but right now it just feels far away. In the absence of good news, Ted, I mean, one of the trading axioms is you never try to catch a falling knife, right? When things are dropping, you let them fall. And then you try to pick up at the bottom, near the bottom, or when we're back on the upswing. When we look at the corn market in particular, as you mentioned, there could be some silver linings here with regard to cheaper crude price, cheaper unleaded gasoline, therefore increasing the ethanol demand. How long do you think it's going to take or what kind of good news would be required to get this corn market back in an uptrend? Are we going to have to see big export sales? Would that be enough? Are we going to need to see people driving more? What kind of confirmation do you think the market's going to look for before it turns around? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, we'd love to see some export sales. And with the sharply lower dollar compared to where we were, you know, even a month ago, uh, that would, that you would think that would be fair, fairly possible. So, you know, there'll, there'll be a number of indicators that we're looking for, uh, but we might have to wait for quarterly grain stocks to really get a good handle uh, on what's happening with corn disappearance. We'd like to see the ethanol numbers pick up. I mean, we, we do follow that weekly. So, uh, again, we want to see demand come back in. And whether it's exports, whether it's ethanol, hopefully a combination of the two, we're going to need to, we're going to need to see something better there. Uh, aside from that, again, we, we trade futures, not today's. So if the market really believes that this is a bullish thing for corn, then great. The problem is, is the market doesn't really believe there's anything bullish out there right now. It is very much gloom and doom, and we are focusing on the negative. It had been that way before the coronavirus outbreak. It is much more so that way now. Uh, so any kind of piece of news we throw at the market, unless it's extremely bullish, is going to be taken with a grain of salt. Even the bullish numbers are, are going to be taken with a grain of salt. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough right now. But at what point do we start to get too cheap going into a growing season? And that's the question that I think we're all asking ourselves. Well, and let's take a look at the soybean market. I mean, we did have some bullish news. We're seeing uh, shipments to China up 14% over a year ago. Granted, last year the shipments were roughly zero. But we are shipping some beans to China. They have stepped back into this market in a smaller way than I think we'd anticipated, but much bigger than a year ago. And yet today, beans were kind of the biggest loser in the grains. They just couldn't seem to find a footing. How did they end up the day working through the close, Ted? Well, I mean, you look at you know what heating oil did, and I eat when I when I talk about heating oil, that is the market we look at for diesel, right? So when you see diesel down twenty cents, right? So then you think biodiesel is going to be very similar to that. You know, it's not a scenario where um, if if heating oil is down, we're going to use more biodiesel necessarily. No, they they're direct, they're competitors, they're they're substitutes, they're not complementary like unleaded gasoline and ethanol can be. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a problem for soybeans today. Um, overall, we we broke through some key support levels on the chart. wasn't good there. Um, so yeah, the soybeans took it the hardest. And and again, the ongoing coronavirus. But really, you know, as we've talked about, ever since we have since ha- ever since we got this trade deal with China, we've been skeptical that we're actually going to see that trade deal come to fruition. And we haven't seen any signs of it yet. China buys little bits and pieces here and there. Uh, Sunny Purdue said that it's we're going to see these Chinese purchases really start to happen in the spring and the summer. Uh, we're tired of waiting. We want to see it now. And until that happens, you got just a ton of doubters out there. And then you throw coronavirus on top of it. And, you, and then you throw uh, uh, an oil price war between 
Saudi and Russia on top of that. And we're just really hurting for any, any sort of good, positive, fundamental news right now. Anything growers need to be doing right now as they look ahead to get their, their crop? I mean, we're, we're getting close to planting time, Ted. We're making those final decisions, getting our final seed purchases made right now. At, as folks watch this kind of turmoil in the market, all of a sudden, the best laid plans get called into question. In your mind, do growers need to be making any adjustments right now based on the past two weeks' moves? Or is this something we continue ahead, plan, work your plan, and then see how things shake out and market with the conditions that we have once the crop is in the ground? Yeah, I think for the most part, guys are going to pretty much stick to their rotations. Um, I'm not so sure we're going to see a huge increase in corn acreage. Well, we're, we know we're going to see likely see an increase in acreage across the board because, you know, if we even get a halfway decent planting season, we're going to do better than what we did last year. Um, but I don't know. I guess for me, I would be very curious about planting soybeans uh, because I think there's a lot of potential there. If China does, in fact, come in and buy the size that they have agreed to, well, we're going to run out of soybeans pretty quickly. And I don't, I'm not sure we're going to plant enough soybean acres for next year if they're buying as much as they're, they're saying. So <clears throat> I, I think for me... You know, I, I definitely want to, you know, kind of stick as close to my rotation as you know I can. But I'd have a, a slight lean towards soybeans just because I see the potential that we have there, and that could be a big thing here in the summer. You watch a move like today, and you're saying, "Don't throw soybeans out of the rotation quite yet. Don't go to 100% corn just yeah. because we were down today." Yeah, no, I think that's probably the bigger takeaway. Is you know, I, I'm not, I'm not giving up on beans here because again, I see the potential for opportunity there, and the the potential for opportunity in soybeans is greater than in corn, in my opinion. Not saying that corn can't have a halfway decent recovery and be trading some pretty decent prices as well, but the fireworks, if they happen, will probably be in soybeans. Gotcha. Ted, and so for listeners who don't know, Ted and I work in the same office. He works behind me. He is my boss and the fearless leader. But earlier today, one of the things I really enjoy about working here at Zaner is the chance to turn around and ask Ted questions. And earlier today, Ted, we saw the wheat market be sharply lower, and then it went higher. We were up, but not quite a nickel. We are up three, four cents at one point earlier today. And I turned to you and I said, what's going on with wheat? Why is it higher? And you turned around and said... Why was it lower? Ted, look at the Chicago wheat market right now. We did have an update. It was kind of the one winner today in the grain markets. What does that lead you to believe? Is, is wheat going to be kind of the shining star for at least the short term? Uh, wheat might end up being sort of the canary in the cold line. You know, I, I really liked what we saw here on wheat despite everything else. But if you think about it, like the question I asked you, why was wheat really down? Wheat doesn't have the same sort of exposure to energy to energies that corn and soybeans do. Uh, also, if we're talking about you know stock market being sharply lower and we're worried about beef demand, things like that, well, we don't really use a whole lot of wheat for feed. Um, the food category could increase as people are less spendy on more expensive. Wonder bread all of a sudden looks pretty darn good. Yes, exactly right. Uh, the other thing, and maybe the more important thing, is that we continue to see a lot of pressure on the American dollar and the Russian ruble sharply higher today. So. There is that currency advantage that was swinging in the direction of wheat today. Um, and again, if you can say, well, wheat doesn't have a whole lot of exposure to this whole oil price war, maybe this is actually a good thing for wheat going forward. And so, yeah, wheat did find its way and it did hold some key support and had a nice little reversal today. I'd love to see that carry on to tomorrow. I think the corn market started to take notice of that towards the end of the day here on Monday. If we can continue high tomorrow, maybe corn kind of changes its tone a little bit. Um, so there's a, there's a, I think there's some positive things that if, if we can continue to go higher. And I think fundamentally there might be some reasons for it to do it. The question is, can it do it in the face of this sort of risk off 
climate of fear that we have going on right now. You know, and that's that's a huge wild card. You mentioned the climate of fear. You mentioned it earlier as well in the meat markets. We saw live cattle and feeder cattle. Both uh, April contracts opened at limit, limit down, uh, $3 in live cattle, four fifty in feeders. Uh, they climbed off of it and then went right back to it. Ted, when you look out at a move like today, you mentioned there are some structural concerns. I mean, we could see this crude oil thing impact jobs in Texas and North Dakota. I mean, a, a sharply lower stock market could mean people are buying less premium meat, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, if gas is a lot cheaper, now we're saving money at the gas pump, maybe we're going to go to the grocery store some more. Do you think this limit down move in cattle is indicative of a a downward trend that's in place to stay for some time? Are we going to be plumbing the mid-90s in fats here in the short term? It doesn't feel like we're, we're doing a very good job finding footing. And the fact that we couldn't hold the bounce off a limit down today is not good news. But then again, I mean, you look at the... You know, midday crude was bouncing, but then got heavier at the end of the day by the time cattle closed. Same thing with the stock market. Stock market was flirting with making new lows after having a very sizable bounce at midday. So, yeah, uh, again, this is a news-driven market. We are very oversold in cattle. In my opinion, I think we're getting too cheap for what I think the fundamentals are. But, but you know, I am very skeptical that coronavirus is going to have a huge impact on overall demand. But... Uh, the market certainly doesn't feel the same about that as I do. I mean, right now, the public is afraid. You see that evidence, the, you know, the run on, on toilet paper and, and, uh, and water, you know, at the Costco and the, you know, your local grocery stores. Um, and when the public's afraid, that means less going out to dinner, less going out to dinner, less steaks consumed, you know. So that is a real concern right now. I think, though, fast forward a couple weeks, I don't think coronavirus goes away, but maybe we come more, become more jaded to it saying, hey, you know, it's an upper respiratory infection. People are going to get sick. It happens. Uh, but as we get closer to the spring and summer months, maybe it's not going to be as big of a problem. Maybe we're just going to get kind of a little bit more back to business as usual or, and not have this overwhelming fear. And if that's the case, then I think we are trading too low on cattle. But for right now, it's a real tough argument to make. Uh, because the public is so very afraid. That's not a knife you want to stick your hand out and try to grab right now. No, not at the moment, no. Now, uh, before we let you go, Ted, we did see hogs. Kind of, They didn't open the day limit down. When we look at China, when we look at coronavirus, all of these things, to my mind, pointed to a limit down open in hogs. Didn't happen. We seem to find surprising, relatively speaking, amount of strength in that market. Did manage to hold throughout the day. When you look at the hog market, why did we see that today? Where Where was the optimism for hogs? Well, yeah, I mean, so hogs aren't, uh, pork is not really considered, you know, the premium cut of meat. So maybe people will be looking, when you, when you have a big drop in the stock market like that, and you think, okay, people are going to be shying away from, you know, your fillets and mm-hmm. ribeyes and so on and so forth, they might be looking at pork, maybe looking at ham, right? So that's part of it. The other thing is that, you know, the the acceleration of coronavirus in China has really slowed down compared to what we're seeing in other countries, especially Italy, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, China, as they really work to contain this, or from what we hear coming out of China, sure. they're doing a pretty good job with that. So they're hungry, and, and we know they still need pork. So we're still trying to be optimistic that that dollar continuing to come down and prices continuing to come down was going to spark that buying interest coming from them. Fantastic. Ted, a day like today, I think oftentimes can open a lot of people's eyes to the risks that are out there every day in the markets. It just happened to hit Sunday night. It was a weird, weird deal this week. 
you work with growers day in and day out to manage those risks and help prepare for events like this. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who want to put a plan in place, they want to aggressively manage these risks, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can also find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at the TED Spread. Fantastic. Ted Seifer, Chief Market Strategist at Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Pleasure's always mine, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, big thanks to Ted. You know, we were chatting about how it's always tough to talk markets on a day like today. When you get this kind of volatility, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. We could see a snap back, which is what some of the uh, cattle options contracts maybe are anticipating, or we could see this knife continue to fall. So, folks, stay tuned. We here on Ag News Daily will bring an update to you tomorrow. But if you want to get caught up on any past episodes, you can visit our website or find us on social media. Delaney, how should they go about doing such things? Well, they can connect with us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Always sharing great content on there, but also listening to those past episodes, as Mike mentioned. Find us on any podcasting app as well as agnewsdaily.com to tune in to some content, some great content that you could have potentially missed. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.